Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, we're back with another edition of Talking Preps. Today we've got... When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My man Will Healy on the show from the Charlotte 49ers. I'm excited about this one, Coach. I've never met you. Uh, welcome to the show. Uh, amazing what you're doing over Charlotte. Well, I appreciate you having me. Uh, you're, you're not missing out on anything, I can promise you. So um, <laughs> y'all must have run out of guests, but I'm glad to be on with y'all. No, sir. No, sir. Um, okay, so I was looking at your bio. All-state prep quarterback in Tennessee. Went to Richmond, won a national championship. Correct. I was on the team at Richmond. On the team. <laughs> yeah. And then you go to Austin P and you take over a team that was one in th- you well the, after your first year, they were one in 34. So that kind of leads me to my first question. You know, you're one of the youngest coaches in Division One. Are you surprised it's gone so quickly, so fast, and so successfully? I feel like going over for your first 13 as a head coach, nothing moves quick, you know. Um so it, it it's it moved quickly the second year. Uh Man, I, I tell you what, I, I think they'd won one game in the first 35 when I got there, and then I went over for my first 13, so uh, I didn't help the cause any. But uh, year two was really special, and uh, and, and year three was, was solid, not great. You know, uh, definitely thought I had some unfinished business, was was fortunate enough to hire some really good coaches when I was at, at Austin P and uh, able to, to get the Charlotte job last year and, and have had a blast in Charlotte. Okay, the, the question I gotta ask, I see the videos on Twitter and I was I would get on them last year watching them club lit. Where did club lit come from? And who is it that convinced you to take your shirt off and really get in there with those guys? That that looks so fun to me, club lit. Well, I mean, there's there's another 20 pounds since COVID-19 that's been put on. I've been working really hard on with this dad bod, but uh, year one at Austin P. Um, you know, you go 0-11, year two, uh, start off, we get beat by Cincinnati. Um, and, and had a shot to win the game. Um, and then the next week we go play at Miami of Ohio and have no juice. You know, guys aren't really interested in playing. And uh, we had a great week of preparation, great week of practice. And so I asked the leadership committee, I said, you know, we had a great week. You know, Monday through Friday, y'all look like world beaters. And, and Saturday we looked disinterested. How would we miss an opportunity to play the game of football like we did today? And uh, – one of the six-year seniors who had won one game in six years, Max Ewalt, said to me, Coach, Monday through Fridays have been our way of hiding. 
you know, Saturdays, we've gotten our butt kicked around here for a long time. So Saturdays have not been a whole lot of fun. And uh, the following week, we were playing Moorhead State. We had a 29-game losing streak, had lost 45 out of our last 46 games. And I said, when we win on Saturday, we're going to have more fun playing college football than anybody in the country. So um, we end up winning the game. Uh, we tear down the goalpost. We smoke cigars in the locker room. And uh, I, I uh, started, you know, just a, a celebrating success, you know, uh, post-game win celebration. I'd waited 14 games in a year and a half to make it happen, uh, but but we definitely made it count. Our boosters were getting off the elevator, like not being able to breathe because there's so much smoke in the hallway. Uh, I could hardly speak, you know, with my post-game speech because there's so much cigar smoke going in my face. Um so fast forward four or five games, we've now won, you know, five out of the last six. And uh, we were playing uh, Southeast Missouri. We were up like 31 to seven going into the fourth quarter. Uh, they end up coming back, make it a really close game. And it, when we won 38 to 31, and you could feel a really dejected sideline. And I got on the headset and I told our staff, I said, if any of you don't walk in this locker room, and act like we just won the Super Bowl, uh, then you're all fired. Because five weeks ago, we would have paid for a win. And so let's don't forget that. So that's when, you know, I, I introduced my body to the world. Uh, and then uh, Club Lit was a spinoff of we created Charlotte whenever we were here, when we first got here. Um, and, and now we've turned our locker room into a club with the DJ and, um, you know, I, my wife just loves it so much when she can see me on TV with my shirt off. I thought I'd give her what she wanted. <laughs> hey, Coach Ely, I appreciate you being on here with us. It's great having you here in the Charlotte community. Um, I saw that you took part in a Black Lives Matters march uh, this past Saturday near the school. I just wanted to get what your thoughts are uh, about the recent movements with race relations in general. Well, it's it's heartbreaking. I mean, you know, there's there's a lot of you that says there's no way this can really be happening, um, you know, really from from an injustice perspective. Um, and I think my, my number one job whenever it first came up was to listen. You know, here's who I am. All right. I'm a 35 year old white guy from Udawa, Tennessee, grew up on the lake, went to a private high school, went to a private university in the University of Richmond. Uh, to act like I've been a minority in a lot of the situations I've been in is, is dead wrong. The only time I've been a minority and had opportunities to really develop relationships with black people or Hispanic people or, has been through athletics. And so first off, let me just be the first one to say I don't have it figured out. I don't understand. I tell our guys that. I don't understand. But here's what I do understand. I understand perceptions. I understand that I'm a white coach coaching a lot of black players and it looks bad when you're making money and they're not right. And it looks bad when you've had a white coach in your, in, in, in your past that maybe just cared about you if you were playing really good football or wasn't near as consistent or so we judge an entire group of people based on the actions of one, right? I mean, sound familiar? Uh, you know, one football player at the University of North Carolina, Charlotte, gets arrested, and the headline is Charlotte football player gets arrested. So our whole football team is judged by, by the actions of one. To me, I'm not a you know historian, and I don't have all the all the facts, but I think racism exists because of extremes, and I think that what's going on now, in in large part, is due to the actions of of few, right? And so, 
I think it's just really important that our players understand that I am working at understanding them, that I have their back, that I want them to have a voice, that I want to create a safe net of a place where they can tell me how they really feel. I want to educate them uh, and I want them to educate me about their experiences and, and what I can do to help this. And I don't think it's, yeah, we went to a March. I took my five-year-old and my wife. Awesome. Incredible. I was, you know, such an amazing experience for me. Uh, but that's not it. You know, I mean, that that's not that's not check it off the list, move on to the next thing. This is not something that's going away. And this is not something that just happens. So, um, you know, our, our team meetings have a lot to do with it. I'm growing every single team meeting we have. When I listen to the stories of our players, it breaks my heart when they don't feel safe or feel like somebody doesn't respect them. Uh, because we've got a really, really good group of players and we got a really good group of coaches. And I've just been blessed enough to see the best of the best and uh, and see the really good sides to all races. And uh, um, that that's uh, what I'm fortunate to be able to do. And I really appreciate that stance. And, you know, like you, uh, I can I can't put myself in an African-American shoes, you know, whether Langston or Gary or anyone, you know, we, we, we don't have those same feelings, but we can just be caring and compassionate and understand and, and just try to do the best we can to understand. So I appreciate that stance. Uh, my second question I wanted to talk about though, given your age, you know, you're, you're not very far ahead in years um, more than some of the players that you've coached uh, being that you're younger. Do you think that that gives you an advantage in the recruiting uh, and being able to connect with some of the players and, and just in understanding the generation, maybe better than a coach that's 65, 66 years old? Well, I think what's unique right now about college football um, is that everybody's answering questions that, that people may have. So, you know, Mac Brown right now in North Carolina is asking a question, you know, answering questions about does he still have enough juice? He's got a lot of juice, you know, and he's he's proven the fact I don't care what age, what age you are. Uh, he can do it with the best of them. And uh, he's done a tremendous job. Obviously, Dabo's got his way of doing things and Dave Clausen's got his way of doing things. Cutcliffe's got his way of doing things. So there's a relatability factor, uh, if that's a word that uh, I, I think that you automatically have when you walk in the door and you look 12 years old, you know, um, you know, it wasn't that long ago, whenever I was in their shoes. Um, what I've got to answer uh, every time I walk into a house and every time I have a recruit on campus is how does this 12 year old going to help my son become a grown man by the time he leaves? And uh, so I think there's got to be a, you know, it's, all, it's not always roses here. Uh, this is what our culture looks like. These are the standards and the expectations that I expect you to meet. And if this is what you're looking for, this will be a great spot. But I'm not going to sell you that, you know, this is Disney World every single time you step in our office. Uh, there's hard work. We're going to work really hard. We're going to play really hard. I'm going to, uh, you know, demand that you're we're, we're in the most what I call the most accessible program in the United States of America. So, how you represent our program is extremely important to me. The perception that people have of the people in our building is extremely important to me. So, um, yes, I definitely think it helps you relate. I've got to answer the other question, and that is I'm mature enough and I care enough uh, about your son to help him reach his aspirations. You do a phenomenal job of relating with uh, student athletes, Coach Healy. Thanks for being on our show um, one of the best things that I've seen Charlotte football do recently of being a coach in the last 10 years in Charlotte 
um, there was a disconnect from the Charlotte staff before. Um, we didn't see, we would think we would see you the most in our schools, you know, at least once a week, the assistant coaches building relationships and it wasn't quite there. When you took over the regime, it was full fledged, like building relationships, hitting the fast forward button. I really appreciate what you've done and it's going to pay dividends for you in the future. The one question I have for you though, on, on a lighter note is uh, we saw the attendance rate at UNCC, a lot more women come to the football game than men now. And I think it's maybe based because you are 35. And, and <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, my wife's going to be mad at you for asking that question. She'll be the first one to tell you. She, she'd probably tell you you can have them. Uh, but uh, I appreciate what you said, Coach. And, uh, you know, I think that one of the things about taking this job for me is that you're in a city that didn't necessarily appreciate the product that was going on up the street. And um, that there's a really good brand of football, that it's big time football uh, and that we would have opportunities to win games. It's going to be a really good experience for you. I say the same thing from, um, from a recruiting perspective. I, I thought the last staff did a tremendous job and I'm not saying anything about what they've done. I was very fortunate to be able to win with their players a year ago. Um, I, I thought the relationships, especially with high school coaches and prospects, uh, could be improved upon like it could anywhere else in the country. It's a um, it's our number one priority in recruiting. Um, what I've done is I've given, you know, 10 coaches, uh, eight schools and six surrounding counties. And our job is to make sure that we communicate with the staffs for 52 weeks a year, uh, that we are accessible Um that that you that you do hear from us more than anybody else that we develop relationships um, and that you trust us you know and again to say we haven't figured out well, I'd be lying to you but I think we can figure it out together um, and we may not like you know where each other is on a prospect or you may disagree with me about I think you should take this guy but we're going to be honest we're going to be upfront we're going to be consistent and and we're going to be accessible and. Uh, We've gotten great response from high school coaches like yourself, and and I appreciate that as much as anything because um, it, it's been easy because there's really good people in this area and really good prospects. Coach, you mentioned earlier uh, some of the other programs in the state. North Carolina has seven Division One programs. Uh, how do you distinguish your program from the the other six programs in the state? Well, I think you got great programs and you got great coaches. You know, I mean, you go from top to bottom and you're talking about, I mean, guys who have done so much more than I've even thought about doing. I mean, you go, you know, you're, you're talking app, which is, you know, Sean Clark, I think will do a tremendous job there. The The history of that program, I've played them since I was at the University of Richmond in 2007 when the year they beat Michigan, you know, and, and then played them in, in, when I was in the Southern Conference at Chattanooga and played them again last year and they, and they kicked our butt last year's. Um, you know, East Carolina, I've got so much respect for Mike Houston. Um, I know his career record. Uh, I think you would, if you, if we talked wins and losses, I think, I don't even know if he's lost as many games in his career as I have in, in four years. So, uh, obviously he's a really good one. You know, you got Cutcliffe, who's a hall of famer. You got Mac Brown, who's a hall of famer. You got, uh, you know, you got Clausen, who coached me for four years at the University of Richmond. And then you got Dorian at, at, at North Carolina State that has won a, a tremendous amount. So I do think we're all different, you know, um, and in a good way. You know, I mean, I, I don't think that there's a cookie cutter way of getting the thing done. I think that 
We've got the second youngest staff in the United States. Uh, we believe in celebrating success. Uh, we believe in relationships. We, we uh, are in an unbelievable city. I think one of the best cities in the, in the, in the country. Um, we've got, you know, an amazing university that is the highest growing university in the state of North Carolina right now. And, uh, and, and we got really good facilities. I think it's a different experience. You know, you, you're talking about a program that's got seven years of history versus programs with hundred years uh, of experience. You're talking about a program that's been to one bowl game versus some programs who have been to a ton. So there's got to be a different chip on your shoulder, a different experience that you're looking for, uh, and you want to build something. And I, I've always felt like, you know, there's a lot of fun in building. Also, Coach, um, Charlotte, the Charlotte metro, metropolitan area has become a hotbed of high school football. How do you keep some of these kids at home? Uh, Mac Brown has once talked about building a fence around North Carolina. How do you build a, a fence around the Charlotte area? Well, I think it starts with, with relationships in the community, you know, and for us, it starts with high school coaches. Um, you know, again, the number of times that you're going to sign a four or five star from, from Charlotte, um, you know, your, your odds aren't very good. Uh, I think maybe there's one, maybe there is an Ed, Ed Oliver at some point in time that decides to stay uh, and be a program changer. Um, but I, I think the biggest thing about it is your four and five stars need to understand the product. They need to think playing football at Charlotte is cool. And then even if they do decide to go to another one of those state schools or Clemson or South Carolina or Alabama or wherever it may be, they still always appreciated what they had in their hometown and they start to kind of love what's going on in their hometown school. So maybe one day they're not happy. Maybe they come back. Maybe they have a buddy that's a three-star instead of a four-star and they're able to say, yeah, Charlotte is cool, man. That'd be really cool if you stayed and played there. So it's recruiting all, you know, zero stars to five stars. It's recruiting high school coaches. And then again, it's putting a product on the field that when you do have those guys on campus, when they do have an opportunity to develop a relationship with your staff, that they feel the difference too, uh, and that they they can help you uh, continue to create and continue to build, and uh, and then you, you string some wins together, and that obviously helps. Coach Healy, I want to go back to one thing Gary had mentioned, and you had kind of touched on. Uh, you you mentioned the other Division One programs that already have that tradition. You got. Uh, Carolina and Duke and, and Wake Forest, all of them have done big things. But to get there, and, and, and it took a long time for them to build those programs. But in order to have an enormous program like that, you've got to have big rivalry games. You've got to have those games that you know that you can hang your hat on plan. It's going to not only bring in a big crowd, but it's going to generate a lot of excitement, a lot of buzz uh, surrounding the program. You know, I've been around a long time, and I remember with – uh, UNC Charlotte about 20 years ago in basketball they had a huge rivalry with Cincinnati and it was just the big thing you, you waited for those games to come year in and year out uh, who would you like to be the big rivalry games that you would like to establish those rivalries with that you think could really carry on the football program well I, we're not on the level of of the guys that I that I even just talked about I mean I think one winning season in the history of the program doesn't put you in the same shoes as some of those other guys but I do think that we need to create some ga games that our fa fans are interested in. Um, obviously, App and ECU make a ton of sense. Uh, we're starting home and homes next year. Uh, this coming season, we'll play Duke, and then Duke will come to us in 21. Uh, North Carolina will come to us in 25, I believe. 
Um, you know, at, we're working on a Wake Forest game. If that's a possibility, I don't know if that's going to work out or not. But, I mean, there's a lot of um, of in-state games we would love to play. And uh, obviously, we know how far we have to go. It's not like just because we had one winning season, we can hop on the map and and beat those guys in recruiting or beat them on the field or, or whatever it may be. I mean, playing Duke this year, David Cutcliffe calling plays again, you know, uh, playing at their place will be a, a r- real challenge for us. And so uh, it's fun that we can create those games of interest. Uh, you know, you hope that you, you beat some people a couple more times and then it does become a rivalry. I mean, I, I used to talk about it at Austin P all the time. Our big rivalry was Murray and we'd beaten them one time in 12 years. Well, may have been a rivalry for you. It wasn't a rivalry for them. You know? <laughs> so uh, we got to beat some people a little bit more and, and, uh, you know, find a way to beat an app every once in a while and find a, find a way to beat ECU when we play them and find a way to win some more of these conference games, you know, beat an old dominion, beat a middle Tennessee, a Western Kentucky, some, you know, some of those guys and, and do it consistently. And I, I think then maybe you won't have as many people like us. Everybody wants to schedule us for homecoming right now. So we want to change that. Well, I was part of a coaching staff at South Rowan, and our biggest game was Kannapolis. And, you know, that was our big rivalry. We only managed to beat them a handful of times, but it was a lot bigger to us than it was to them. So I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, speaking of Austin P, Coach, you took Austin P from 0-11 in 2016 to 8-4 the following season, from ninth place to second. Here at Charlotte, you were 7-6 and six in year one. What in the world can we expect for the 49ers next year? Because I think the expectations have to be through the roof just based off everything that I'm hearing from you tonight. Well, you you can expect us to play football. Uh, I think that's step one right now. Um, I, I do feel really good about uh, where that's heading. Um, you know, I, I think that here's the, here's the problem, all right? You, you go uh, – you start off two and five, all right? You win five in a row to get to seven and five, and you have a miraculous end of the season. You make your first bowl game, uh, and then you get your butt kicked in the bowl game by Buffalo, um, who was an unbelievable team and, and wore us out. So you hope that the expectations go from, you know, five and three in the conference and, and you know, having to go on a, a five-game win streak just to make a bowl game to at some point in time I'd love to have realistic conversations about winning the conference championship and winning bowl games. And we're not there, you know, we're, we're not uh, one good year is great, but you know, programs are built over years and, and consistency winning. So, um, you know, I, I think we'll have better depth. Uh, I think we've added some really, really good players. I mean, we had a top 70 class nationally in recruiting, um, you know, signed a, signed a really, really good recruiting class. We've taken some great, grad transfers, um, you know, that I think will be able to fill some holes. But the reality is you're losing the all-time leading tackler. You're using a back-to-back thousand-yard rusher who's playing for the Cleveland Browns. You're losing a fourth-round offensive tackle uh, to the New York Jets and Cam Clark, and you're uh, losing the guy who had 14 sacks a year ago and was an AP All-American. You know, not to mention some other really, really good players that had extreme productivity. So uh, it will be more replaced by committee. Um, but I, you know, and, and I think everybody in our program understands how fortunate we were to win some of the games we won down the stretch. Um, our schedule is very difficult, you know, Tennessee, Norfolk state, Duke, uh, Georgia state at a conference and then uh, a loaded conference schedule. So it'll be difficult. Uh, but I'm excited about the progress, progress we've made from year one to year two. 
Uh, Coach, to kind of continue with that, uh, you've had a, uh, you're young, but you've had a very good career and uh, a lot of success. And we would like to know, what do you think your keys or what are your keys to have uh, driven your success? Uh, there is no question about it that uh, I've, I've hired really good people. And um, I won't take credit for much, but that's where we've won. And, um, you know, I was at Austin P. They, uh, you know, it was a 256 ranked job out of 256 Division One jobs. Uh, and I found the one AD in the United States of America who was probably ignorant enough to give me a chance and Ryan Ivey. And I, I mean that sarcastically because I think he's amazing. Um, and, and he gave me a shot. You know, I remember sitting in his office and I was like, listen, I don't want to tell you how to do your job, but if there's ever a time to take a chance, it's when you're, you've won one game out of your last 36. Like, really, what's the risk-reward right here? If this thing works, it'll be – if we win two games in the next four years, they'll build a statue of all of us around this place. Um, so, you know, I, I was fortunate to be able to, uh, to get the job there and then really fortunate um, that he would – that Ryan Ivey would allow me to hire who I hired. Uh, Marcus West is our co-defensive coordinator here. Um, you know, unbelievable what he did for me at Austin P. Uh, I, I basically, we started off at 10 full-time coaches and a director of football op operations for a little less than $300,000, which was difficult. Uh, and we were able to raise some money and, and get some of those guys in, um, you know, to, to hire a great staff. And I've always said, my goal is that somebody takes a picture of your staff and they say, how in the world did he get those people to Austin P? You know, how in the world was that staff together at Austin P? And I, I think we had that, um, you know, guys who had my back when I made, you know, and still do make dumb decisions and, and don't have it figured out and am looking for answers. Uh, you know, friends who it hurts them when you fail. Uh, best advice I ever got was from Mike London, uh, who had just gotten fired as the head coach at the University of Virginia. He said, hire people who won't let you fail. And uh, that's what I did. And that's how our message and our culture and our process stays consistent is because I've got a great group of people around me. So you've generated a lot of six, uh, should say a lot of excitement here in the Charlotte area and rather successful last season. And if things keep going well, uh, other colleges are going to come uh, talking to you. Uh, we'd like to know, can you uh, tell us that you'll be here in a few years? Well, I think the crazy thing about this profession is they could get sick and tired of me in a few years too, and you can get fired. So you have no idea what tomorrow is going to hold. Um, I do think it's, it's, it's awesome to be in a place that, you know, your family is extremely happy that, you know, that the vision of the program matches what you want it to be from that's, you know, from a chancellor perspective and an AD perspective down to what I believe is a first-class university. My goal for Charlotte is that Charlotte becomes the big-time program. You know, I don't want to go take another job. I want Charlotte to become that big job. And, um, you know, I, I think that my biggest thing about it uh, always is how do I take care of a staff? You know, I mean, it's not about, you know, from, from that my ego needs it. I mean, it's just I love – having opportunities to be able to take care of those people that are around me. And I think we can continue to grow that at our place as we grow fundraising and as we grow attendance and as we grow support. Um, so the great part about it for me is I don't have to look, I love where I am. I love what we're building. Um, I know that 
crazy lifetime, once in a lifetime type opportunities pop open. Uh, and I'm very honest with our, uh, with our players about it when it does, you know, um, but I, I, it's not something that I'm just trying to find the next one. I'm happy where I am and I hope that they'll have me. I think that's a phenomenal way what you put about your coaching staff a little bit ago, just putting people behind you that support you and will not let you fail. Uh, I'm doing the exact same thing right now. Very excited about the future. You just hired a guy named Lee Grimes. He's a good friend of mine that I know very well. Are you excited about him coaching your offensive line? And the second question is, don't, you know, don't sugarcoat this. I want to know the truth. I want to know your ace in the hole. If you got to get a recruit, who's your ace in the hole coach? You can go get him. Who's your best recruiter? Two great questions. Um, <clears throat> the best recruiter on our staff is my wife. Um, and, and she, um, I, I really do think that I'll answer the first question first. I, I think we've got a staff full of really good guys that it depends on, <clears throat> let's say, if I'm recruiting a guy to Mississippi, I'm probably putting Marcus West there. If I'm recruiting a, an offensive lineman, I feel really good about putting Lee there. You know, guy from Texas, Lee there, Eddie Hick. I mean, I've got some really, really good recruiters that can relate and develop relationships. So I don't feel like it's the typical staff that just may have one or two. I, I really do feel like it's so much based on where they are, what position they play, what they're looking for. Um, and, and I've got a really good group. And then I think – once that happens, their their families being able to see our families interact is extremely important. Um, the, your first question again was Lee Grimes. Um, I didn't know Lee from Adam. I'd heard about Lee. Um, I was really close to hiring another candidate and um, got a phone call from Lee. Our uh, offensive coordinator, Mark Carney, got on the phone with him. And, and to be honest with you, it was – uh, was kind of hoping Mark Carney would call me and say, yeah, I think we're, we're good where we are. We just need to move on. And uh, he called me and was like, we don't have a choice. we got to bring this guy on campus. Uh, and when we did, it was it was incredible. He blew us out of the water. Um, it, you know, I, I think about how fortunate we are to be able to have him, what he's – I mean, he just signed a four-star offensive lineman out of Texas. So uh, I'm, I'm pretty high on his game right now. Um, He's consistent. He's a great coach. Our players have loved him. And it was a difficult position for him to, to take over. You know, Alex Atkins and I had worked together for a long time. Those players loved him. Alex was the offensive coordinator. Um, you know, so it was a difficult spot for him to walk into. And Lee's been a champ. He's been fantastic. Very, very happy to have him. Yes, Coach. Um Everybody's starting to get excited about the football season coming up. Football magazines are in the newsstands and at the grocery stores. And the NBA has announced that they're coming back and other leagues are starting to come back. How is that going to work at UNCC? How is, how is that transition coming back from the disease? And do you think um, we'll have a stance? So we are back in the office. Uh, June the 1st, we, we were able to go back in. Uh, we're on uh, less than 50% capacity in the office. Um, we're, we are all having COVID testing done, uh, whether that be staff, admin, or players. All of us are doing that. Um, and then uh, our, our guys will start coming back on campus uh, with testing next week. We'll quarantine them until we get the results back. 
we'll have 10 or less outside um, and, and will not be in the facilities. We'll be working out outside, conditioning outside, work, lifting weights outside. Uh, so we're going to keep them out of the building and, uh, and go through some protocol with how we clean it and make sure that we're in good shape for when they do. Uh, hopefully, you know, 1st of July, we'll be able to work them out in the weight room. Um, but our biggest thing is play it slow, make sure we've got a really good plan in place. Um, really how you're going to handle it. I mean, it's probably not if it's probably when you have a guy who has it, uh, the teams that are testing right now are having guys who test positive for it. A lot of them may be asymptomatic, but they've still got some positive tests. So what's the protocol there? What's the protocol if a coach gets it? Um, you know, how do we clean, um, our lifting, our, our weight room gear. And, and so I think we got a really good plan in place and, and we've been slow and steady about it and made sure that uh, the player and the coach health is the, is the number one priority. All right. Well, Coach Healy, man, I really appreciate you coming on. Enjoyed the talk. I was so happy to hear how Club Lit really got started. I've been wanting to hear that out of your mouth. And you got to promise you're going to come back now. I'd love it. Yeah. Anytime y'all invite me back, I'll be back. Uh, I got one quick question. Yeah. Austin P, you went from ninth place to second place in one season. What in the world is Charlotte going to be like after seven to six first bowl game ever? What's it going to be like in Charlotte this year in 2020? We were in the conference championship this year. Just come watch and we'll, we'll, we'll make sure you get a chance. To right? uh, I, I know that I'm, I'm okay with expectations. I know how hard it is to get there. Um, yeah. And uh, we want to create some rivalries. That's our goal. We're going to make some people not like us anymore. Absolutely. Coach Look, thanks for coming on the show. We're definitely going to come back to you during the season. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. All right, man. Take care. Well, there you go. That's uh, Will Healy of uh, UNC Charlotte. Really cool guy. Coach Griner, what do you think? Dude, he's phenomenal. I don't know how Charlotte's going to keep him. I hope they do because Charlotte needs football. It's going to make the city even better than what it is now. But, man, he's phenomenal, isn't he? He can speak. I mean, he's He's kind of like a Dabo Sweeney in a way, but he has his own clever ways of doing things. He's he's awesome. Yeah. I'm gonna sneak uh sneak a young lady up here in the corner who has her mic off, and we got to get Q's there mic. Yes, she, she is. Um, but Dale, you did ask the question about whether or not we we're going to keep him around. Are you a little nervous that Charles going to have him in a couple of years? <laughs> you know, when you're winning like that, you're young and you're winning. Uh, looking like Tom Cruise. Yeah, you're looking like <laughs> Tom Cruise and generate right. that kind of excitement it's going to be hard to keep him yeah, yeah. well we got miss sucker of the association I, I sent her a text last minute and said would you please come on and be on the show with us she was so kind to do so q tucker how are you doing great guys thank you for that last minute uh invitation <laughs> should i feel bad that you i'm a i'm a last minute no <laughs> man. Somebody say no to you <laughs> we didn't know that the big news was coming out today we would have like hit you last week if we know right. dropped the big news but i mean kind of tell, tell everybody what you guys announced today and what that's going to mean for the state of north carolina okay sure thing uh our board of directors met uh last friday morning uh, by way of Zoom to review uh, information that we had received from our Sports Medicine Advisory Committee, uh, review again the uh, Department of Health and Human Services, the North Carolina Department, uh, to review their information. And uh, after reviewing that, we had put together a plan uh, so that the um, board could review that and then make a determination as to what to do once we got to or once we you know hit June 15th on the calendar. 
And after reviewing the plan that we had given them, uh, they made the determination to lift the dead period, which we're currently in, and it will remain in effect until June 15th. But then once that date comes, then we have a phased approach for getting back into athletic activity in our member schools. And uh, so the board approved that uh, along with some forms that will be necessary for players to uh, complete and hand in in advance. And then obviously a form where they will have to go through monitoring uh, daily checks uh, on those um, temperature and any symptoms that would be related to COVID-19 to just make sure that the young people, as they come in, they do not have any of those symptoms. Uh, so we, we, released that this morning to the membership. And uh, to be honest with you, Langston, I'm surprised I didn't get any more phone calls than I did. Now, tomorrow's a new day. Uh, <laughs> some people may not have realized that it was out there and just needed the rest of the day to digest it. Uh, but anyway, that's that's the news. Well, when we talked this morning, some of the one of the things I asked you was the mom and daddy question. I did get that today. Um, Union County starting July 6th. Mecklenburg County starting July 6th. Wake County starting July 6th. Iredale schools are starting on the 15th. So they're saying, but they have an advantage on us. They get to start early. You gave me a really perceptive answer earlier today about how starting early is kind of a perception, not necessarily reality. Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, yes, uh, our rules and regulation for ending a school a school year obviously already has that built in, really. Uh, once a school year ends then and ready to move into the summertime, it basically is at the discretion of that school system to allow schools or, and the students to move into summer work. They have seven on sevens. They can start going to camps, hold their own camps. And so, for example, if uh, uh, let's just I'll pick a county up in the mountains, let's say Swain County schools uh, finish their spring semester May 28th. Well, then after their teacher work days, those mandatory teacher work days are completed, then Swain County can go ahead and start their summer work. Well, let's say Currituck County, they go until June 10th. Well, those young people don't get to start until their school year ends. So it's already in place that not every school system starts summer workouts at the same time. And uh, obviously we would have loved for everybody to be starting from the same point. Uh, but again, that's typically not reality anyway. So, you know, we we've laid it out there and it is obviously local control, uh, guys, as to how a school system wants to operate uh, when they want to allow their students to begin workouts, et cetera. So, Q, a lot of coaches want to get their kids going uh, now, obviously. Could you explain the phase process a little bit for us? Well, the the phase one is the NCHSAA phase one. And what we've put in place are, you know, obviously the, the W's that we hear Governor Cooper and Dr. Mandy Cohen talk about all the time, uh, that they have to wear a face mask when they are coming onto campus. Uh, anytime they're not involved in activity, uh, if at all possible, they ought to have a face mask on. Uh, the W that says wait or to 
you know, maintain that six feet of distancing. And then the other W is to wash your hands as often as you can, 20 seconds. And if that is impossible, then we are asking our schools to have the uh, hand sanitizer available so that they would be able to wash their hands as they move from uh, one station to another, whatever the case may be. Uh, and so that's the, the phase one, all of those pieces will be in place. And then really for this first phase, a lot of the emphasis is on conditioning, skill development individually, uh, you know, lifting if they're able to get their uh, weight equipment outside of the weight room. The weight rooms are closed. The locker room is closed. Mat rooms are closed. But anything that can be done outside and they can move it out there, um, you know, and in those situations, you want to have a 12 feet distance just simply because when you're lifting weights, uh, you need spotters. And so you want to allow that room uh, enough room for the spotters to be in place. So um, that's the first phase is really it's about, uh, as you said, getting these young people back and at least having an opportunity knowing that the numbers are reduced now. If they're inside, uh, a coach can only be in that gym with 10 total people. And that would be the head coach plus an assistant, head coach plus a manager, and then the players. If you're outside on the football field or you're outside on the soccer field, it's 25, but it's all inclusive. So you have to count the adults along with the players. And as I said, those W's have to be observed during this first phase. Q, one thing that um, kind of resonated with me when I was listening to Coach Healy uh, from UNC Charlotte talk, and it's also a conversation that we've had collectively on this show. I know Dale and I have discussed it. What happens when, through the testing, you have a student athlete who, who turns up positive for COVID-19? They may be asymptomatic. They may not show the symptoms. But how do you think that will be handled uh, from your standpoint, and, and what do you think the reaction would be? Because I know as a parent, you know, I'm worried that parents may just pull the plug and pull their students or their children away from a sport altogether. How, how do you see it? Because I think it's inevitable that someone is going to turn up uh, positive. I just want to understand maybe from your point how that would be handled. Well, obviously, we would hope that anybody who, let's say, wakes up and they're getting ready to go to practice, maybe the wise thing to do if, if parents and, and if they have a thermometer at home is check their temperature before they leave home. Now, we know that the fever is only one indicator. But then, you know, once they get to school, then they will have to go to a station and they will have to uh, answer all the questions that, you know, how do you feel today? Do you have any aches and chills? How about a sore throat? Have you had a cough? Have you been around anybody with COVID-19? All of those questions. Now, if someone becomes ill at the, the workout, then immediately that student would need to be put into an isolation area. Uh, the parents would need to be called. And then, of course, they would need to uh, contact their uh, their doctor, healthcare provider, whomever. And then one of the things that we've said in the plan is that they ought to work in pods. And so that pods gives you an opportunity that if you're in a group of, let's say, three people, you know, I'm in there and two of my teammates are in with me. And those are the only two people that I really have interacted with on a, uh, a closer 
basis, let's say, obviously the six feet distancing is supposed to be observed, but then we would want to let and would ask the schools to let their those parents know um, and then they probably, now that we have more testing going on, Chris, we would hope that maybe those students would go and have the test done. But then obviously you've got to depend on your healthcare professionals to help know how long do we need to stay in since we're not showing any symptoms, for example, the student, if they test positive, those kinds of things. But you're right. It's inevitable that someone is probably going to contract uh, COVID-19. We hope that it doesn't happen. But, you know, injuries and illnesses are really, you know, it's just kind of, it's inherent if you're going to participate in athletics. Uh, if, if you participate in athletics in, in uh, late December, January, there's a likelihood that you may get the flu from somebody else. Uh, there's a likelihood that if, you know, we, heaven forbid, but we have those situations. I don't know if you guys remember some years ago, I think Charlie Adams was still alive then. We had the measles outbreak and it, uh, it uh, you know, infected a wrestling team. So you have those situations that do pop up and you just deal with them at that time, knowing that everything has been done to try to prevent it. And that's, that's really all we can do. Good evening, Q. Hey, uh, inevitably, um, Budgets are going to be affected by this COVID-19 school system budgets, and it'll probably be passed on down to each school as well as the athletic departments. How does that affect endowment games this season? Well, first of all, let's just hope we, we have the opportunity to even worry about endowment games. Uh, we want to be able to play. Um, right. And, uh, you know, and obviously a lot has to happen between now and when we actually could play a game. But what we hope is if we let's just say let's just give an example. Let's say we, we start on time. Let's say we're able to start August one. Let's say that for whatever reason, football can start and we play that game and their first game is an endowment game. Well, really and truly at that point, there really would be no change. The endowment is the endowment. And the idea is that 25% of all endowment games come right off the top. It goes into the endowment uh, that the association keeps. And then those are the dollars that we give back to the schools. And I, and I can tell you guys right now that our hope is unless something really happens between now and June 30th, we think we're positioned to still be able to give our teams a check and may not be as large as it had has been in some, you know, in years past, but we're still hopeful that we can give a check. So if that's the case, then the endowment dollars or that endowment game would still be played and we would still take the, the monies and invest it just like we always have. Now, if for whatever reason, let's say, Gary, we don't get to we're not able to start football until September. And so it just wipes out all of your endowment games. Well, the endowment games are wiped out because at that point we are probably looking at adjusting the schedule anyway. We're probably looking at cutting the number of games for any sport. It could be volleyball. Uh, it could be soccer, whatever the case would be, we would be looking at making those adjustments. So I think to to say that, well, the endowment game is the only one that could be affected. It could be just all, some non-conference games that are affected as well. And those non-conference games were never designated as an endowment game to start with. Hey, how are you doing? It's good I'm to doing see good, you. Sam. 
Um, I was looking in your background. It looks like you haven't been staying home very much because it looks like you got like four shoe boxes back there. You've been going to Louis Vuitton. <laughs> no, 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 Sam. Those are like uh, collector boxes. I've got stuff in them. <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah, shoes. <laughs> Question for you. Um, I don't know how, you know, where I'm at at West Charlotte, how it's going to affect us. But like say Myers Park, they might have 125 players. What would you recommend? If you only have two fields, are you thinking about staggered practice time or what do you think about the 25 person rule? Well, what we've said is that it, it, it is 25 persons per venue. So really and truly what we would hope would happen is that if they've got two fields, then obviously that gives them a little bit of an advantage. But those are the kinds of things that the AD would need to work with the with the coaches. I would hope that there would be a coaching staff meeting and the schedule would be staggered so that we don't have everyone arriving at the same time. So that maybe that if there are two fields, one of those fields probably is going to be used by soccer. Uh, if, if you've got lacrosse and I don't know if you do or not, but there needs to be the sharing of space. And then everybody just needs to stagger their schedules because the maximum amount of time is 90 minutes. And we're suggesting that in these first couple of weeks that no student should participate in more than one session a day. And that's just to get them back into the swing of things, reacclimated, so to speak, um, before they start trying to do soccer and do football example, or try to do volleyball. And if they happen to play tennis, uh, something of those name, uh, of those sorts, so that they're not um, doubling up, but the stagger is going to be very, very important. Q, I want to see if we can shift gears just a little bit. Obviously, I know that the COVID-19 has dominated a lot of the discussions here in recent days. Uh, but I want to go back. I know that during the springtime, the NCHSAA body, the member schools voted against the bylaw change, which could have changed the way the realignments look going forward. Now, with that being said, I know that there had been some possible other ways that you could realign, do the realignment. Has the committee been able to meet? And is there any insight that you could give us to whether we could see some kind of a 5A, maybe not 5A by name, but a 4AA and a 4A or so, so on and so forth? Is there any updates towards the realignment that you could give us? Well, obviously, the committee uh, recommended to the board that we hit pause as it relates to just realignment in and of itself. The committee had met twice. The last meeting was the latter part of February, came out of that meeting with some ideas and suggestions of some other criteria to look at and to use other than just ADM. The bylaw says that you realign using ADM number as a guiding principle, not the only thing. So they started looking at things, guys, such as, all right, maybe we ought to look at the success factor and maybe everybody gets gets Wells Fargo points. So maybe we factor that in. So maybe we, we say that we're going to take the ADM number and it will count a certain percentage. You use maybe the Wells Fargo numbers and they'll count a certain percentage. Maybe you use a number that's called the ISP number, which is the individualized student percentage, which is used to help determine the free and free and reduced lunch uh, situations for the schools across the state. 
So maybe we would assign a percentage to, to that criteria. And then you would come up with new numbers and ultimately that would give you then what your realignment number would be. Each one of those criteria would be assigned a percentage. Maybe you look at an average of the uh, Wells Fargo points, uh, maybe a three-year average, whatever the case would be. And that's what we would come up with uh, in terms of the number we would use. Then there was talk about, well, what if we align the schools and we say any school that is from the ocean to a dividing line in the middle of the state? What if we take all of those schools and we realign them? We start with the, you know, take that highest uh, number and then you would go down to the smallest and you realign that group. Then you take the rest of the schools from that dividing line to the mountains and you would align them so that it really wouldn't, uh, it would move us away from, let's say, Currituck High School impacting what the realignment is going to be for Franklin High School in the mountains. Um, so those were criteria. Nothing was ever decided that they looked at those. And really, at the end of February, what they had said to our staff is, please give us some numbers. Please show us some models. And when we come back, we'll try to see if any of this makes sense. Can we arrive at a place that we like? It didn't have anything to do with subdividing, Chris. It was just about let's just change the way we maybe look at the criteria and then let's see where, where we land. And then, of course, COVID-19 hit. And so our hope right now is while we're paused, is that we hope that we'll be able to get to a point that we can bring the committee back so that they can look at the models that we have put together if they don't like the percentage, maybe they don't like the percentage that is assigned to the uh, Wells Fargo points. So let's change that, make it a smaller percentage, and let's increase this criteria. Um, they felt like, and we agree, that it's hard to digest numbers if you're not sitting around the table, at least in the same room, and be able to bounce off ideas. So our hope is that by August sometime, we can get the committee together in person and look at that information. And then if everything works out, then we could use September, realign the September regional meetings and share where the committee lands. Mm -hmm. And then let the, let the membership say, oh, that's a terrible idea. We like it. Yeah, let's move forward. We present it to the board. They could sign off on that, that plan sometime in October, and then that would get us right at the point where then we would start to look at numbers. But I think one of the things that will have to be factored into everything we do is that this year is going to start differently than any other year. You know, we use the first month's ADM numbers. We have no idea what those ADM numbers are going to look like. So it might would be that we need to even look at that bylaw to see how can we adjust that. And I think, you know, we'd have to bring legal in if we start trying to say that we're going to do something different with the ADM numbers. And that may would entail us bringing in the State Board of Education to take a look. But that's really where we are with uh, with the realignment process. Well, Q, I just wanted to add this, and if I could stand up and applaud for you right now, I would, because that's probably the best answer I've heard. And I want to applaud the committee for even thinking outside the box, because, you know, we can do the same things year in and year out like we've done. And, and we've all been around this sport for a long time, and, and we've seen so many realignments. 
and, and there's nothing wrong with looking at that different set of numbers and there's nothing wrong with all of those different factors. And, and I just want to say for the record, I'm totally in support of how you explain that. I think that that's a great way to look at it. And I appreciate you for saying that. Well, thank you very much. It is, uh, you know, it's realignment just brings out, it just moves people to a whole different uh, uh, level in terms of their emotions and in terms of how they think and how they feel. And that was one of the reasons that, you know, I even applaud our board about to say, look, let's just stop and let's just use 1920 to look at the process. But we didn't have any way of knowing that pandemic was going to hit and we wouldn't be able to do everything we wanted to. But we're, we will persevere and we'll plow through this and hopefully we can get to a point where at least the membership is pleased with our effort. Q, that was amazing. Me and Chris talk about the realignment all the time and the way you broke it down, I was just like, wow, that was, <laughs> that was really good. Um, your IQ must be on a whole different level. So um, No, no, no. <laughs> I'm going to need your help on something, okay? Right. So when this um this virus completely goes away and we have a trivia night somewhere, we're going to meet up and I'm going to need you on my team so that we can uh, dominate trivia night. Is that All right, I'm sounds like a plan, Sam. Just let me know where. Seriously, you're amazing. <laughs> All right, um, Q, I, I did a couple questions for you. We're hearing in Charlotte there's a referee shortage. Are you guys seeing that statewide and does COVID have anything to do with that where maybe referees or potential referees are a little more nervous than usual? Or is this the kind of thing we've just been seeing where we're just having fewer and fewer officials because of the the, the violence, the, the ambivalence, that type of thing? Well, I think it's been it's been coming. We've had a campaign for the last couple of years just trying to recruit officials. Uh, we've reached out to our colleges and universities, just trying to tap into their intramural programs. Uh, we've reached out to our senior classes in our membership to remind these young people that once you graduate and if you're not going to go on to college or even if you are but, and you find yourself with some free time, yeah, you know, become an official. So we have known not only in our state, but nationwide, uh, the official the officiating shortage is real. Some of it does indeed have to do with just the the lack of good sportsmanship on the part of spectators. And the spectator aspect has become increasingly uh, more uh, difficult really to handle because these are fans who come to the window, they buy a ticket and they think it gives them the right to say or to do whatever they want to. We've always had the issues that sometimes we have coaches who have those out-of-body experiences. We have athletes who have those out-of-body experiences and we've been able to, to, to deal with those. But you throw in the spectators and the fans now, it has just added to what officials are having to deal with. And many of them are just simply saying, I don't need this. I don't have to do it. Um, and and some of but some of it also has to do with the fact that many of our officials are at an age where they have been in officiating for a long time. They love it and have done a good job. But because it was becoming more hostile, that just they just decided hey, I'm out of here. I'm retiring. I'm gone. And so all of those things just have come together over the last couple of years, and it has made it even more difficult for us here in North Carolina. Now, you throw in another factor, which is COVID-19. Some of those who were already thinking about retiring, and now they're coming back maybe in a situation where 
they have to wear a mask or they're trying to think, how how will I do this? I can't wear a mask and run up and down the field or up and down the floor or get behind a batter in that batter's box. It's hot back there. Uh, they maybe just will say, this is a good time to retire. And I think we have that going on. And the fact that younger people are not joining the mix, it makes it very difficult. I don't know if you guys realize this or not, but before we broke with the COVID situation, we had a, a, a major shortage of officiating of uh, lacrosse officials for women in the triangle area. And we were dealing with that, uh, you know, just about every day leading up to when we had to stop because of uh, coronavirus. So it is real, it is very concerning. And if I thought I could figure out how to fix it and just get fans to do the right thing, I'd do it and be rich and wouldn't do anything else the rest of my life. <laughs> very well said. I, I, I have a friend that's actually an official or used to be um, boot. And the situation he tells me is that the younger population don't want to be officials because all you do is get ridiculed. No one's like, oh, you did a great job. Like the best officiating is normally when you forget who they were and nobody right. wants to be forgotten. And uh, it's a tough profession to be in. I, you know, I commend anybody that wants to be an official. And I think as coaches, um, players, we need to do a better job of appreciating what they're bringing to the table because they, they're not like coming to the game and want to sabotage anything. They're people. They want they want to be involved in the game, and we might need to pay them more to get more people to get involved. To be honest with you, well, and you're right. But how about this? I had an email uh, last week from somebody telling me that we should just reduce the officials' fees for this first semester coming up, and I was thinking to myself, "Oh my goodness, we have a shortage. If we just then go out here and say, oh, we're going to reduce your reduce how much we pay you, that we really would have a shortage.' So that just goes to show you that it's such a mixed." So many different opinions, mixed information. People do not understand it the way you just said it, Sam. And it's just it's really tough. But I think one thing that would really help is if we could have coaches who would officiate before they become a head coach or before mm. they get into the to coaching. It would give them a renewed appreciation for officiating. When I uh, I started teaching and coaching in Marion, North Carolina, and when I made the move back to Reedsville, I wasn't the head basketball coach there. So a bunch of guys said, "Come on, you need to officiate." So mm -hmm. I officiated for a year and a half before I was named the head basketball coach. And I'm telling you, it just changed everything about how I looked at the game of basketball and then what I needed to be doing on the sideline, because I knew that I wasn't going to change the official's opinion the way he saw it or she saw it because I had been there, done that. And it just it changes. And, and that may be something that we need to not that we could require it, but it certainly would be, I think, an interesting uh, concept for coaches to officiate before they become a head coach. We might make money that way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to touch that, Sam. Uh, <laughs> Q, Q, we, we've seen some of the NFL teams talk about maybe 20% fans in the stadium. So we're talking in Charlotte, a lot of the stadiums with 4,000 seats, that would be like 800 fans, 400 aside, 400 aside. Have you guys thought about anything like that when we get, if we get to playing football? Well, uh, again, if we get to play, that would certainly be a nice problem to have. I think the thing that scares us all, uh, and especially those who are on the ground at the school level, is that we would play football and they couldn't have any 
fans in the stands. So I think if we could have some fans, that would certainly be a good problem. Now, how would the how would the schools figure out who gets in on this Friday night as opposed to which group comes in the next Friday night? Uh, obviously, those things would be decided at the local level. But here's where we will land on that. We will be we will depend on the governor and his team uh, led by Dr. Mandy Cohen to be able to help us know all of this. Once they come up with those numbers, uh, they will share those with us and uh, and we will we'll have to abide by them. And uh, I love the fact that they have involved us and allowed us to be at the table to offer some opinions and to at, at least they seek our advice. So uh, don't know yet how it will look, Langston, but uh, again, we just want to have the opportunity, I think, to be able to have some fans or to at least discuss how can we do this. And, uh, and I think if we get to that point, it will be an indication that perhaps we're closer to being able to have this virus in a in, somewhere that we can at least address it. Until we have the vaccine, you know, we're still in trouble, uh, you know, quote unquote. So I think, you know, that's the key. We gotta, we have to have a vaccine. And until we can have the vaccine, we have to do everything we can. And I think we just have to fit inside of that box uh, and 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 just make those adjustments. Okay, but last question before we let you go. You were on a couple months ago, kind of when we were started talking about these issues, and I asked you to look in your crystal ball. Remember? <laughs> yes, I, I do. Tell me, what do you see about football in August? You said it's cloudy. <laughs> we're in June now. What does that crystal ball look like in June? Well, I think it's still cloudy. I think what I what I see really is. Uh, you know, the uh, the governor and the State Board of Education, Department of Public Instruction, they released their set of guidelines for reopening schools that was released today. And uh, when you look at that document and you look at the things that are, are going to be required of our teachers and our administrators just to start school August 17th to throw in uh, athletics into the mix I don't know how it's all going to work. Uh, if my crystal ball, it is still cloudy, but I could envision uh, something that would indicate we can't start doing anything August 1, that we could start something later, maybe once we get school started, once we're able to, to figure out how to make everything that educators have to do just to do in-person learning. Once we get that in place, then maybe we can come and say, let's do athletics now. Now that we've figured out this part, let's bring the athletic folk in. And now we can we know how we can put them on the bus because we've already had them on the bus arriving to school. So now we know what we need to do to get them from point A to point B to play a game. We know how we can get enough masks. We, we you know, all those things that that they will be dealing with just to start school August 17th. So my, my, my crystal ball is still cloudy, but I see that there maybe is a way, but it may not be the timeline that everybody wants. And everybody wants us to start August 1, but to be honest with you, I don't know that that's real. Okay. Well, Ms. Tucker, I appreciate you last minute jumping on the phone with us and putting up with this again. And hopefully you'll join us later on in the year. Hopefully we didn't make you too mad. And uh, 
I think you're doing a great job. As Chris said, I, I want to second that. I mean, I think you're doing an amazing job through a very tough time. So thanks for getting on with us, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, guys. Have a great night. All right. Thank you. Thank you. That's uh, Q Tucker, the uh, commissioner of the North Carolina uh, High School Athletic Association. Guys, had a long show today. We had two guests, had a surprise guest. I don't want to keep you guys on much longer. Just um, – what are your thoughts hearing what she said just then, Chris, about a potential for the season to start later? Because all those phenomenal games we got in Charlotte, I'm like, well, that's not going to happen, and that's not going to happen, and that's not going to happen. What do you think? That was the first thing that I thought of when she said that it's most likely that we would not get to play the games uh, and do the practices beginning August 1st. And and I immediately thought about the, the Dutch Fort games, and you know, the big mm. games at, at Bank of America Stadium. Uh, ultimately, and, you know, we all want to see sports. I, I know all of us on this panel want to, but again, I think you got to put your parent cap, you got to put your common sense cap on, and you got to do the right thing by all the stakeholders. And I don't mean the parents or the fans or the students, but just everybody collectively as a whole. You just got to do the right thing to protect everyone. And while I don't have to like it, you know, I think it is the reality that we're living in. Gary, you're a teacher, um, been a teacher for years and years. I mean, what what do you what are your thoughts on what she said, and how could you envision us opening schools in this uh, in this environment? Well, she mentioned that the governor came out with uh, his suggestions about opening school, and I think he had three. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of this is going to be dictated over the data over the next month. Uh, they've always said it's going to be a second wave. Uh, mm -hmm. I think the data is going to determine how schools open and then um, what type of schedule the schools are on. Is it an abbreviated schedule? Is it a virtual schedule? Uh, is it an alternated schedule? I think all of that is going to be dictated by the next couple of weeks. Also, I think uh, we're going to learn a lot for high schools by how the colleges open up. Mm -hmm. how they return and the data that they're facing. Because what, what we're starting to see is a lot of these young people are asymptomatic. Uh, they're, you know, Auburn had three players that test positive. Al uh, Alabama, I think, had five. And, and they never knew it because they didn't exhibit any symptoms. And mm -hmm. I think that's probably true with a lot of young people uh, after all of these marches and, and protests, um, you know, the data is probably going to change. And, and mm. so I think we're going to find more about high school based on how the how the pros and colleges transition into their season. Mm -hmm. And that will that will tell us a lot about how the high school should transition. Dale, looking at your Facebook, I know you follow COVID very, very closely. You put up a lot of stats and statistics, and I suggest people go follow you on Facebook. But Q's crystal ball is cloudy. Mecklenburg County in the week has had a thousand more cases and like 30 more deaths. What does your crystal ball say about August? That's hard to say. Um, just, you know, looking at data, it, it's just one of those things that's hard for us to call. At some point, we still have to move forward. So mm -hmm. uh, no, the, the big thing is, is North Carolina is going through a spike right now. Uh, yes. Or shouldn't call it a spike, but an increase in numbers. Mm -hmm across the state. Uh, for me, from what I heard Q say, and it really kind of resonated strongly with me, is that let's assume we can start school normally. Now, one of the things is schools across the state start at different times. And, you know, how is that going to uh, play into 
rolling kids or rolling the athletics in. Mm -hmm. But if you really think about it, there's a lot that's got to be done uh, to add athletics into that mix because I'm sure at that top level, it's just about getting kids back to getting educated and athletics is taking a second uh, uh, phase to all that. So it, to me, I, I, I'm going to be shocked to see uh, football in early September. Uh, well, I hope I'm wrong, right? Uh, so, but, Chris, Chris, you think it's September 1, September, middle of September? Not at all? I don't want to say not at all. Now, I have passed two or three days. I've had a few conversations with a few coaches, an AD or two, all across North Carolina. And and the info that I've gotten from them is not optimistic. And, and I listened to Dale speak, and Dale's right. You know, you got to look at the numbers. And, you know, I'm concerned that – I don't know. I don't, I don't want to be a pessimist, but I'm starting to lack optimism. But I, I think maybe sep- middle of September. Well, well. All right, Mr. Grind, if you get the final word, you're a football coach. I know you want to play as much or more than anybody. What does your crystal ball tell you about high school football in August or September or October? Uh, hopefully we play in August. <laughs> That's where football starts. The only problem, like what Gary's talking about, was um, looking at colleges. Most colleges start in September. You know, mm-hmm. you don't see games until later on. So if we're watching what they're doing, then obviously we'll be behind them. Then that won't be good. Normally we start in front of them. Um, like I said, you got to be a big believer in faith. Um, you pray about situations, and I'm, I'm praying that we get to play football because, you know, I think the good Lord only watches football, to be honest with you. But um, uh, There you go. You know, I'm a basketball dude, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey. So we're going to play in August. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> All right, guys. Look, it was a great show this week. Coach, who we got coming on next week, Coach? Will Muschamp. There you Ooh. go, South Carolina yeah. Will Muschamp. Go Gamecocks. You're talking about a funny guy. Wait till this guy comes on. He's, oh, oh, we had a great show this week, guys. Appreciate y'all being on. Thanks, everybody, for watching. We'll talk to you. Right. You still want to talk, don't you? <laughs> <laughs>